there are certain rules to running a horror movie franchise into the ground. First, quantity over quality. Every so often you'll luck out with a fan favorite once expectations are low. You want people to log into Tubi and feel like they need to catch up, so try for at least one movie a year. Second, change up the creative teams. Too much vision or consistency means you have to leave numbers in the title. People just want to say, ooh, another one, and dive in. Too much continuity feels like homework, especially when you can just shoehorn a few Easter eggs into some spec script. Third, when all hope is lost, you've been to the city, you've been to space, go back in time. Prequel, baby. That horse is beaten and dead, so go back to the fun it came from. And now, the Amityville Podcast looks at Scream. Welcome back to the Amityville Horror Podcast. I am Tom. I am Pat. And we're about to jump into yet another franchise. This one is still very active. There's actually another one on the way uh, to theaters next year, but obviously the Amityville franchise is still active, so we're not worrying ourselves about that. And also, if they never make another Amityville movie again, still not a concern. Yeah, we can still keep the podcast name for uh, reference sake and just take on franchise after franchise after franchise, but... This one is generally well regarded. Yes, this is the, the second of Wes Craven's two franchises that he created that took over pop culture. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's, he's had stuff that's had a few sequels here and there, but no. No, it's this and that. Yeah. There were, well, Which there we were, still haven't named. This is true. Uh, we're, not <laughs> doing, we're not doing the four Hills Have Eyes movies. Oh, right. Yeah, they did have sequels. Yeah. Well, there, there's like one real sequel, and then there's a couple movies that they call Hills Have Eyes. Well, the sequel to the remake, Wes Craven oh, was... Oh, shit, there's a remake. I there forgot was, about the remake. There was the remake, and then the sequel to the remake, Wes Craven is credited as a writer on, and it's not a remake of Hills Have Eyes Part Two original flavor. Mm. So, anyway, we're not doing those, mm. and uh, we're not going to jump into Elm Street, because that is well-tread territory for a lot of podcasts. I feel like people have heard of Freddy Krueger before. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's come up here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, like, that one, for the whole shifting creative teams constantly, mm-hmm. would have maybe fit more Amityville style, but we're trying to branch out and do different things. Ooh. So, consistency of vision, in some regards, we're covering Scream. The, yes, because at least three are writ- are directed by Wes? Uh, four are directed by four. Wes Craven. Mm-hmm. Uh, three are written by Kevin Williamson. Yeah. And then we have uh, two new ones after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll get into the, all the details on the sequels and who jumps in when and why and how. Yeah. We're, um, not, we're not doing the TV show, right? No. Okay. No, that would be uh, two seasons and a TV movie Oof. of a completely different plot line. Well, that doesn't... Well... It doesn't if, if work we're holding, podcast. If we're holding to, well, it's a different plot line, well, then we, we, we've been screwing up for 50 episodes. We have not done a TV show yet, and if we ever do Elm Street, we're not doing both seasons of Freddy's Nightmares. Why not? Uh, too many episodes. I feel like that's Does almost... That two seasons? Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Good for them. Amazingly, because of all the parent complaints in most markets, but... And also, it wasn't particularly good... No, every fifth episode or so was like, okay, I see what you're doing. Yeah, then like every episode had like at least one person who was like, oh, look, there's that person. Mm-hmm. And they're oh. on the TV show. Yeah, Brad Pitt was on a show. Hey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we're covering the first, the original Scream. Um, came out mid-90s when horror was all but dead. It had been struggling because... 
what the what the ninety the nineties had forgotten that it's the combination of a genuinely scary premise plus special effects that makes right. a successful horror movie. By the mid nineties, uh, I believe this was ninety six. Yep. Um, they had just gone with well, we could just put special effects and gore, right? Yeah. We the, the, you guys don't care about anything else mm-hmm. in the thing, right? Yeah. And as it turns out, we did, and this is why. We have movies like Ghost in the Machine and The Lawnmower Man. Mm-hmm. And just, uh, like, oh, God, all of the... Well, the CGI doesn't look great, but if we put it in horror, they're forgiving. Exactly, exactly. Um, we also had... They'll um, eat sand if we tell them to. Yeah, and then we ate sand. You ate what? We ate sand. You ate sand? <laughs> so, uh, we had a lot of horror movies, air quote, that were basically sci-fi slash horror. We don't mm. know what's hitting, but we hear this Independence Day movie's going to take off. We get, like, Screamers and Species mm. and um, The Arrival. Oof. There was a lot of alien invasion <laughs> horror. Yeah. Also post-X-Files. Like, people were trying yeah. to figure out what horror yeah, yeah, looks yeah. like. Mm. Fire in the Sky. Fire in the Sky is genuinely terrifying. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. But it was... Horror was trending towards, let's do sci-fi with a scary edge, yeah. or let's do prestige horror post-Silence of the Lambs, no, but yeah. nobody wanted to make horror movies. Yeah, um, they, You weren't getting much in the way of Elm Streets, you weren't getting... Yeah. You Elm Street get, was dead twice at this point. Yeah, you did, we were, um, after Jason Goes to Hell in, what, 93, we didn't mm. get another one for almost a decade. Yeah. And then Jeez. nothing but the remakes since then, so. Mm. And Freddy vs. Jason. The glory that is Freddy vs. Jason. Yeah. And then you had a whole bunch of straight-to-video stuff, which results may vary, yeah, and we've covered some of it. I mean, yeah. obviously the Hellraiser movies were predominantly... Some of these Amityvilles, if only for, you know, the Stockholm Syndrome of doing all of these amateur movies that, you know... That those early ones do look a lot better that, in retrospect. Yeah, the, the, those ones after uh, number four look uh, a lot better yeah. than we gave it credit for back in the day. Like, re-listening those episodes, it's like, man, we didn't know how good we had it. We really didn't. Ugh. But anyway. Yeah. But, Scream. Um, but yeah. Scream came along. And Scream, for better or for worse, changed what horror was going to be for the next five to eight years. Uh, I still feel the. I still think we feel the effects through not just horror but into other pop culture. It cracked open being able to do meta. This uh, hit no. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Unfortunately for you, Scream is the post Clerks, post Quentin Tarantino horror movie. Okay, they're the ones that cracked meta. Ho- Scream was the first horror movie that really did a good job with it. The groundwork having been laid with uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Six. Good points. Good points. Yeah, and I think yeah, I've even given Friday Six credit here, so I yeah. don't have a good memory. Um, no, we like Friday Six. We oh, like the I, first. It's screen. my favorite one. Yeah. Um, and we had like stuff in the past, like Student Bodies, is more of a spoof parody than yeah. a direct meta. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one, while it does have spoof and it does have parody, as do all of them in the franchise, it still owns itself as its actual own property. Yes. It's more like. We have savvy. These are like, what if we had John Hughes kids in a horror movie? Which yeah. is to say, not necessarily that John Hughes movies were metatextual, but they were just more self-aware of the craziness happening around them. Uh, the At least the first two screen movies definitely channeled that specifically mm-hmm. and overtly into talking about other horror movies. Yeah. And they understood, like, 
it was a movie that on the script side understood the genre, mm. but your audience needs to be with your characters, not thinking they're complete and utter idiots yeah. through the course of it. And when everybody's seen so many horror movies, you don't want your audience the whole time to be saying, don't run up the stairs, you idiot. Mm. Don't follow the tropes. By introducing the tropes into the script and telling people at the front, hey, audience, you're not that far ahead of the characters, um, it opened up a challenge. True. And it's a challenge that, unfortunately, most post-Scream attempts failed miserably on. Including Scream 2 and 3. 3, I will agree with. We'll talk about the sequels as we go. But um, I'm going to have a lot to say about 3. Now that we're talking about it, honestly, I'm curious. I have not watched the original Scream movie for probably 15 20 years at this point mm-hmm. so i'm curious how much it actually holds up because the with you talking about the the characters being ahead of the audience but not too far ahead i'm trying to think if like they actually use any of the awareness that they have to their advantage in this film which well, off the top I, of my head i don't think they do i think in the beginning it and you know we're gonna watch it yeah. and come back around but to my memory, it basically drops the gauntlet at the beginning of the characters all know that these are tropes, mm. so should a trope come up, it needs to either be justified or completely left out. True. So, um, you're not going to want to do drugs and have premarital sex at a campground that's cursed. No. That's not in this, but yeah. it's generally people don't do that. Um say like 2000s forward usually you would have one of your secondary characters um usually black uh saying oh i've seen this movie let's not do this that's fair and to the point where i've mentioned in other episodes i hate the well this is no movie statement uh don't put that light in your movie just don't do it you can say i know movies i know better than them but if you say, well, this isn't a movie, so that doesn't count, mm. then you're basically n- ignoring the actual rule you just sat down and wanted to break. Yes. And actually, I'm going to caveat an earlier statement even further. Mm-hmm. This is not even the first horror movie to do this. No. But it is the best version of it to up until that point, because... Uh, there's that movie There's Nothing Out There yes absolutely which is Great the movie. exact same idea and mm-hmm. even like but the main character is the Jamie Kennedy character instead of uh, right the the yeah. actual uh, final girl yeah um, it's actually it, does this coin the term final girl I feel like it existed before this but I don't know fair. we can look into this yeah uh, but it definitely whether it invented things or not and it definitely solidifies the trope of the final girl because 100%. it used to just be hey we have this is the last person standing sometimes it's a yeah. guy sometimes it's a girl mm-hmm. who cares yeah and audiences are more sympathetic to the girl running so that was typically why you had the final girl well, see this is why you need a Bruce Campbell because right. we, we're going to sympathize with Bruce Campbell even like little baby face stupid Bruce Campbell yeah. more, more than the girls yeah but yeah it wasn't like it wasn't necessarily a hard and fast rule so much as an accepted trope yeah mm-hmm. um this this owned the problems of horror and said since we've seen it all before, what else can we do to play with it? Mm, fair. And I feel like that's the thesis statement for the franchise overall, but each entry 
some to better success than others, take some time to say, where are we in a franchise and what are new rules of horror that apply to this situation? Mm-hmm. Like Scream 2 being, oh, you've survived the first movie. You know that usually you don't get through the second. Except that the main three actors will make it to at least five. Spoilers! Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm saying, like, it, it introduced yeah. the concept, though, of typically you wipe out the cast of the first movie to the second one because eventually you don't want to have to pay them to come back. Yeah. Um, I don't think they say it as explicitly, but it starts to discuss horror openly mm-hmm. so that if you've been watching enough of these and they call it out loud, it kind of burns that idea for the next production coming along. If you use these ideas that we've just said are tired, then we need to see new horror after well, this. Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, it doesn't burn them so much as, well, now you have to actually come up with something new for right. your sequel yeah. because we've already mentioned this. Mm-hmm. I feel like each Scream movie is basically a state of horror with a gauntlet dropped on... So let's let's do more now. Like right. let's let's put this as the button on blank and let's see what you guys have. Like more or less so than uh, what we were seeing with the Texas Chainsaws. Um or different. Different. Mm-hmm. Because some of the Texas Chainsaws were just going gonzo fresh and new. Mm-hmm. One and two in particular. Uh, yeah. Three, far less so. Yeah, Texas Chainsaw 4, if for those of you who want to go back, is the Scream entry of the Texas Chainsaw yeah. series. And it's, it's a, yeah, it basically says, cool, we've we've done these things, what's next? Mm. Um, and some of the ones after that were very by the numbers. Every so often you kind of got an idea. But overall, they were just generally like a varied bag of doing the same thing that's popular right now. Yeah. That was the turning point halfway through that we had kind of caught was... Fair. Yeah. All right. And so The Scream is more its own consistent Yeah, it's like, idea. okay, these are the rules of a horror movie. These are the rules of a sequel. These are the rules of a trilogy. These are the re- rules of a reboot or, uh, you know. And it, it, it takes it and says, this is what everyone's been doing. The killer is obsessed with horror movies. He's going to know all these rules. We have to know them and state them out loud so that we can beat him and also what horror has gotten really lazy at. Mm. And it will be interesting as we get farther in the series because uh, the whole state of horror became lazy with just aping Scream. Right. So how, how does Scream, how does like three or four or five address that? Yeah. Or I would assume it's got to be like two or three because like what what is the the gap between 3 and 4 is it like 10? Or um just about. Yeah, it was uh 96, 97, 99. Then I yeah, I think it was like 2009. I think Jeez. it was about a 10 year gap. Uh was and that was was really 99. I thought that like it, it got into the odds. That's crazy. No, it was uh one year and then a two-year gap for three because of scheduling conflicts with everybody, including not getting Kevin Williamson uh, to do the screenplay, which I will have thoughts on. Fair. Um, but, yeah, they uh, it was a long gap before four could get greenlit. And before that, he honestly even had an idea for it because after three, the wind was out of a lot of people's sails in yeah. the production and in the audience oh, God, yeah. um, and the box office reflected that people weren't sure it was something to come back to 
Uh, I personally believe it holds up even better than I remembered when I first saw it. The third one? The fourth one. Oh, the fourth one. Um, and then another long gap. Um, yeah, over a decade until we got five and then six another year after, and seven in production now. Wow, there's a decade between four and five. Yeah. But the CV show was happening at the time. TV show happened Granted, on MTV. Not like a continuation, but right. something that could theoretically be, you know, keeping the friend, the the property alive. It was keeping the name out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, keeping the merch selling. You can mm-hmm. still sell Ghostface figures. Like no that matter. one. Exactly. I got the updated uh, NECA one to replace my old McFarlane one. So this one has the cloth. I uh, noticed. Cassie. Yeah. And uh, he comes with all sorts of heads. He, I, I think he's got at least three or four different faces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think they got like a, a super duper New York one coming. That's kind of just yeah. I saw that. It's like multiple masks and yeah. and they have tweaked and adjusted the mask over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, they usually justify it by like, well, it's trending and copyrights on masks shift. So it is a good design. Yeah. For a uh, for a slasher. Like, it's very straightforward, like, having all, like, the, uh, the, the hood, the, the hood and the, ca- and the, uh, the cassock and everything, but then just this, the, what is it, the, uh, the scream, was it Edgar? Uh, Munch. Edgar Munch. Yeah. Is, is based on his painting, The Scream, and so that's, like, mm-hmm. the basis of the face. And, and it, uh, well, it was I do like the consistency of the, the, uh, the deer star, the deer hunter knife. Yeah. It's like usually like, that kind of same knife. It doesn't right. really change yeah. that much. The knife is typically the most consistent. Uh, the cloak doesn't have a huge variety, but there's little tweaks here and there over the franchise. Mm-hmm. And the mask will change periodically. Just okay. in context, it's an off-the-shelf mask. Yeah. In the movies and in the original film, it was just they picked this mask, just like Halloween. Yeah. They just pulled one off the shelf and then tweaked it and made it work. And I do like that in the first one... At least they they specifically say say that like all of the bits of the outfit are things that are sold in like twelve different stores in the Tri Town area. So right. it's like it's all it's by design generic. Even yeah. though we put it together, mm. it becomes iconic. Even down to like in the original Halloween, which the first scream specifically references Halloween and Psycho quite a bit. Yep. Um, that in the original Halloween, there was some tracking down of possibly Michael is here because of these incidents at these stores and whatnot. Mm. So, yeah, they're like, they know to cover their tracks. Yeah. And I say they, if you haven't seen Scream before on, we guys. do this, um, spoilers, this whole franchise is full of spoilers. Yeah. So. And also, you got to be at least at that level, so because we're going to get into the gay subtext of the two guys. Yeah. Yeah, pretty well, hardcore. Um, Kevin Williamson, uh, not as common in the '90s, but was out of the closet in oh, the '90s at, at the time he had sold the screenplay, mm-hmm. um, and was a driving force through the franchise. Mm-hmm. And the director of Seven is the first openly gay director yes. of one of the features mm-hmm. in the franchise. Um, not the first openly gay horror director by any stretch of the imagination. Jimmy Whale, all the way back in the yeah, day. You got you know, an OG Whale. right there. Yeah. And still active, uh, Don Mancini for the Child's right. Play franchise. I that he's gay. How? Because I don't really follow him as much as you do. 
Well, I mean, but you've watched the Chucky stuff. It's well, I've watched the first over. season. Well, it, yeah, but not until, like, the earliest was uh, Seed of Chucky, where they really Bride. get into it. Um, Bride had, uh, Bride had the... Uh, had what, uh, what Alexis Arquette. Yeah. I'm just... I'm just saying, like, oh, he is, by he the is time made the sure TV that, yeah. show hits, it's very prominent and used very well. Don't yeah. get me wrong. It's, like, part of uh, building up characters and stuff. But, mm. you know, no, I, I don't know Don yeah. Mancini. Yeah. I mean, he's basically got the one franchise, but it's such a good franchise. I don't disagree. Yeah. So, anyway. Uh, so I don't know anything about Wes Craven other than that he was, like, a literature professor before he did. Yeah, and he had, uh, he had dabbled in porn. Uh, for a stretch Um, it was basically like he would get hired to either be camera or like direct there's at least one or two porn films that he has been credited with although it was never officially confirmed or more or less confirmed off two things sex workers work two uh, everybody's got to start somewhere right and I mean uh, Barry Sonnenfeld started in porn oh cool yeah I assume in front of the camera I don't know. No, he was he was a he was a. He's an Adonis. What are you talking about? I, I'm guessing he was a cinematographer. I almost said DP, but that's let's let's not muddy the waters there. Um, yeah, but yeah, he was doing cinematography and camera work for porn at the same time. He was like getting into like doing the Coen Brothers early films, and I, I, I just gotta I, I want to go and check now to see if we have any porn movies that has like the super duper like zoo like camera tracking shot into something. Yeah, that, like Sonnenfeld always does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I do. I miss Barry yeah. Sonnenfeld. Yeah. What was the last good Barry Sonnenfeld movie? Last good Men, one. Men in Black, the first. I like three. Three is, three is okay mm-hmm. because two is so bad. True, but it's I did not, like three. But yeah, it it's, has it's been a rough run for him for a while. I liked the t- both the Tick shows, and he was involved in those. Yeah, true. True. Um, Pushing Daisies was a big one for him. Oh, he was he worked on that. Uh, he was the he was the main direct. He was the pilot director, and then he I know directed a bunch of episodes along the way. Oh, cool. It was uh, mainly like his directorial vision and mm-hmm. um, Brian Fuller's script vision. Yeah. So um, no, that kind of makes sense because it's like that looks like the Brian Fuller plus Barry Sonnenfeld show much like Hannibal is like the Brian Fuller plus David Slade show. Okay, yeah. Sort of yeah. Mm. No, that works. So. But anyway, yeah. Scream. So. Scream the first. Yeah. The one I genuinely like. Yeah. Man, these next couple of episodes are going to get interesting. I am interesting. so worried about my friendship with Pat. <laughs> because there's a crucial difference between Pat and me. Like, we like the things that we like. Yeah, but I am never offended or particularly like. I never take it personally when somebody doesn't like a thing that I really like. I am not as bad at it as you think I am. Sorry. I do get defensive, but because I want to have the conversation, and sometimes We're the conversation right, <laughs> and sometimes you push further to see where it goes. Well, where I want it to go is the point I'm making. 
We're gonna have some interesting conversations. Yeah, this is, yeah. This is where it's yeah. yeah. And also, I it's am the end of the podcast, guys. We got dun, dun, we, dun, we dun. got six episodes left. <laughs> yeah. And I like the or meta five context. Left. You're not so much into the meta context. I like it when it's done interestingly. Yeah. Well, once we what get are you past... talking about, I don't like. I, I just rewatched Community for the twelfth time. <laughs> There's no meta context in community. Yeah, I know it's, it's it's just all straightforward. And I've only seen season four though, so that you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's watch the screen. All right. That movie's still pretty good. Yeah. Turns out it is a classic. I don't think they use any of their knowledge of horror movies to their advantage, though, is the thing. Like, well, the knowledgeable characters are the killers. Uh, okay, okay, fair, 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 fair. I'm usually looking at it as, like, do you, like, recognizing that you're in a horror movie, can you avoid it? We have one character that knows horror movies in the movie, trying to be the voice of reason to the others, but that makes him just as much, if not more, of a suspect. For a large chunk of it. But he also doesn't... It doesn't help him get out of any of the things at the end. No. No. Yeah. But it at least let the audience know, yeah, we know. <laughs> you, you, could, you could say it with more of a shrug. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a, you know, audio medium. I didn't feel like putting in the effort. Fair, fair. <laughs> but, no, it's... Um, Again, it was before we got into the super deep everybody knows everything conversations and it wasn't going full clerks. Yeah. Which you spotted the clerks tape on top of the VCR. A lot of Miramax pictures floating around uh, Stu's place and uh, at the not blockbuster that mm -hmm. um, the mockbuster. Randy is working at. God, people were still naming their children Randy. Well, Randall, uh, as in clerks, also. Oh, and he worked at the video store. Was, yeah. Did Jane Silent Bob show up? In part three, yeah. There's a weird cross That's universing. Odd. Yeah. Um, turns out it's all fiction. <laughs> I mean, also, yes. Yeah. But no, like, it's... Yeah. The reality broke a little on that. Yeah. Well, it wasn't helped by Wes Craven and Shannon Doherty showing up in Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. True. <laughs> Wes Craven showing up in this as well. But oh, yeah, not as yeah, himself. Yeah. Because he has a great little cameo as a Freddy Krueger-esque janitor mm -hmm. at uh, Woodsboro High School. Yeah. And other cameos in uh, not in the main cast included Linda Blair as one of the reporters. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember the name of the mom from Gremlins, but... Uh, yeah, I don't remember her name either. Yeah. But yeah, it's the same, the same woman was the mom in uh, Gremlins, Stand By Me, um... And at least, oh, um, she's, she's Lorraine's mom, Leia Thompson's mom in Back to the Future. Oh, right, well. right, right, yeah. It, it was like, it was between her and Mary Ellen Trainer for like, who has the most mom roles in the 80s. Uh, Dee Wallace Stone. And Dee Wallace Stone. Yeah. Okay, but she was usually more of an actual main character in she those was, movies. She was, but like, she was definitely a mom in a lot of them. Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. Uh, the only reason, like, I wouldn't have thought of her is because she's usually an actual character, whereas, like, Mary Ellen Trainer and this woman are usually just kind of there gotcha. and, you know, there for exposition. Except for in Gremlins, where she takes out more Gremlins, like, 
like man to man than Billy does. Yeah, yeah. She's like Billy gets bad ass in that sequence. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Billy she really just kind of struggles against, but like he does. Gizmo get, gets a bunch. Um, B- Billy wins on just sheer numbers because he does blow up the movie theater, right? But but like, like actual fighting. Yeah. Francis Lee McCain, ah, uh, hmm. always good. Still around, nice and still working. Good for her. Mm. Now uh, easing into maybe more of the grandma role, but well, one assumes, yeah. As opposed to, I, I had, I finally had to look up what Skeet is short for, mm-hmm. for Skeet Ulrich, and it turns out the whole thing is his stage name. Oh. He looked at the entire, you know, etymology of the world and thought, I'm going to make my career as Skeet Ulrich. His real name is Brian Ray Trout. What? Is Ryan Ray Trout. Trout, as in the fish. Right. Or Kilgore Trout. Or, or Kilgore. Um, But also, that's a three-word name that's... More interesting and memorable. And just yeah. less... Even though, don't get me wrong, there's fish in your name, but it's still just kind of not terrible. It's yeah. like skeet old Skeet. Like, don't get me wrong, the slang hadn't happened yet. The slang thing hadn't yeah. happened yet, but... Yeah, it's like, it, yeah, Skeet didn't mean the same thing Skeet means now, but at the same time, at the time... Skeeter. Skeet meant... Mosquito. Oh, okay. Mosquito or skeet shooting. Skeet or, shooter. Yeah. Um, neither of those are particularly cool. Nope. And nope. Ulrich, I'm guessing, again, he may, uh, we mentioned off air... Because you said it was a stage name, but you didn't tell me what. I was, Karen, I, I was saving oh, yeah. it for this. <laughs> um, that maybe he was a Metallica fan, but even then, is that the is that the person you name yourself after? No. I mean, I guess if you're like the... I want to be the drummer from yeah. Metallica. Like, he could have gone by, like, Brian Ray. Yeah. Like, that's, a, fine. Sta- that's a stage name. The, yeah. two, the two first name stage name, classic. I think... He was trying to literally do the Johnny Depp thing. That is Johnny Depp's name. His last name was Depp. I believe so. Oh. I, I always assumed that was a stage name. Well, I don't think so. No, I could have sworn that that was his actual name. I thought he named himself after a very popular 80s mall type hair gel. Fair. Not, 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 incre- not, not yeah. a bad assumption. Yeah. Was John Christopher Depp. His second. Oh. From the, the yeah. From the uh, Owensboro, Kentucky Depps. Ah. <laughs> yeah, no, Johnny, Johnny Depp, that's probably one of the few real things about Johnny Depp. Fair enough. Is his name. But anyway. Huh. Scream. It's still pretty great. Yeah. Um, and... This is the least notes I've ever taken. He has a pay. He didn't even write the title down. Totally blank. I've seen this movie a lot. I've seen it a lot as well. I didn't take like obviously didn't take my plot notes. I did take didn't note things that I, I found interesting. Number one, I love this movie. Just goes like oh yeah. It's uh the movie the the movie logos and then scream. And then we cut to Drew Barrymore in the kitchen. We mm-hmm. are just, we are going, we are doing this movie. Yeah. And, and it doesn't feel long 
even though it's no. just under two hours. Yeah, which, which at the time especially was long for any movie, less correct. yet a horror movie. Yeah. I mean, the rule of horror was to get in and out under an hour and a half. For uh, And not for nothing. I, I, I watched Smile uh, for the first time a couple weeks ago. Have you mm-hmm. seen this movie? Not yet. It, don't. Just, it, it's pointless. It's okay. like... Uh, it, it's the weak sister to It Follows, which I suspected, but it's also the weak sister to The Babadook, which I was not expecting. Huh. They could have done a lot more with using the monster as metaphor. Okay. And much uh, like in the way that The Babadook does to great effect. Mm-hmm. And this one does not. Okay. Uh, but, man, it, it's like, uh, it's two hours and change. Or it's like just two hours, wow. but it's like two hours, and I started like looking up because it's like I, I came to the realization like horror movies should be like comedies, just ninety minutes, just yeah. like let's your premise four or five is not reels. that interesting. Yeah, four or five reels and out. Everything starts falling apart the longer you look at this idea, and yeah. with horror movies, it's even worse because like you end up just putting in pointless filler, much like this, much like Smile did because. It also, working against it as well, was it was a short film that they were turning into a feature-length film. Ah. And very few of those actually turn out well. Yeah. Which, it's by design. The idea is not supposed to mm. be stretched out. That's, yeah. we're doing a short film, and then you give me money to make a real film. Afterwards. Right, this is a proof of concept real, but this was the idea that takes about ten minutes of your time. Yeah, like the Saw guys, they had made a short film as proof of concept, but mm-hmm. they had the plan for the feature-length version of it right. before. Uh, they just couldn't convince anybody that this was going to make money, or or more importantly, that people would actually want to watch torture for, you know, yeah. an hour. And then there were other production issues with that first movie. But, the production yeah. issues with that first movie. Uh, like making sure all of your actors knew that it was the movie. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. That's why Carrie Elways was not around for a lot of them, is because he sued them. I I, I know he sued them. He sued them because he had gone in, it was supposed to be a test reel or a demo reel for the final project. Then, so he shot out his part. Mm -hmm. Then they got the financing. They went and shot all of the other stuff, like Mm -hmm. the kills and the outside of the room stuff. And then. The filmmakers thought that the production company took care of it, and they thought that the filmmakers think everyone thought somebody else had handled mm-hmm. getting all the contracts and releases signed and clearing all of that up and making sure that everything was above board, and nobody did. And so Carrie Elways was paid to do this test shoot with the understanding he would be hired on to make the movie, but he did not get his clearances signed. He did not get paid for it the Mm. same way as a released film. Basically, straight down the thing, they just kind of screwed up all the paperwork, and the movie comes out, and he's like, what the fuck are they doing here now? Mm. Um, I did not agree to all of this. Like, my name's on the poster. They're selling the movie on my name. And you don't get to do that. So he sued. They wound up settling and making good. And it did wind up being, at least on the filmmaker's side, if not the studio, a fairly honest mistake, I believe, uh, as as I understand it. I, I knew that he... There was some issue that he did not get paid in the way that he thought he deserved. I didn't know the exact details, which that's pretty fucked up. He had shot it as a test reel and then used that footage in the final product. Really? Yeah. That's a lot of stuff for a test reel. Oh, yeah. 
That's like the whole movie for a test reel. I'm just... He did not go back to shoot the movie when it was in production. It was in the proof of concept stage. It was one room, so might as well knock it all out. But he has all the... Has, yeah. There are I'm, a bunch of scenes that he's in other rooms. I'm I'm saying a majority of it is set, set oh, yeah. there that it's... Well, no, you it, knock out that. It's weird that he would be conf- he would think it's a proof of concept when he's... He was told it was. Okay, okay. whatever. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah. either way, it just... They, they shouldn't be this long. Like, the, there are exceptions that prove the rule. Like, The Exorcist, honest to God, doesn't feel like it's two hours and change, even no. though it is. Um, but, uh, like, your Nightmare on Elm Street, mm-hmm. your Halloween's, yeah. your Friday the 13th, let's so just the go. The Evil Dead's coming in 80 minutes, exactly. roundabout. Yes. Yeah. Let's just go. But this one, this Scream movie, also goes at a pretty good clip. Mm-hmm. Which, I was surprised at how quickly the, the, the plot, the movie does move. And it doesn't feel like there's any, uh, it doesn't feel soggy at any point in the movie, despite the fact that there are only seven people get killed in yeah. this movie, which I was surprised the body count is as low as it is. Mm-hmm. And I, I will be keeping track of this because as one of the rules that Randy will explain in the next one, the sequels, the body count has to be double. And I bet you anything it's not 14. I don't know the exact <laughs> math. We'll find out. We'll find out. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I mean, we noticed halfway through the movie, that's, like, the first half of the movie is all sorts of locations, setting up everybody, who's possibly going to be the killer, like, you know, who's wearing what pants or what boots or who's in what room at what time, like, all of your red herrings and everything yeah. on display. We get five, at minimum five different suspects, which yeah. is kind of great. Just about everybody in the cast outside of Sydney is at least hinted at. Every Every male. Every, every male, every definitely, male yeah. Definitely. I, I don't think they're setting up uh, Tatum. <laughs> no, nah, not there. so much. But, <sighs> beautiful, um, beautiful Rose McGowan. But, yeah. Man, Rose think... McGowan's hot in this movie. Oh, God, yeah. Like, I'd forgotten just how cute and amazing <laughs> she is in this movie. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the halfway point is we're at one location now for the rest of the movie. Yeah, it's all the like, uh, Stu's party. Yeah, one hour at one house after you've gone all over the town and all over everything else. And again, mm-hmm. it keeps moving because we have so many moving parts set up at this point. We have so many characters we're following and more importantly, trying to keep track of. So we're mm-hmm. locked on to looking over shoulders, looking out windows, and it's got... It never lets you feel comfortable in a single shot that you're just looking at this. Mm. You're looking at everything but the main character just to be on the safe side in case it's going to pop up from wherever because they've, they've in the first half, somebody opens a cabinet, you hear a sting and it's yeah, the, so annoying. Yeah, but it, it, it works. Yeah. It, and it, it, there's a reason. Yeah. And as we noted, uh, watching a lot of times, it's just to set up the geography of like, here's a scary sting opening the cabinet. This cabinet will open again later. Yeah. It's like, pay attention. Mm-hmm. It's it's j- jangling keys in front of you for important clues. Yeah. Um, it, it's kind of weird structure-wise, like in terms of a slasher, because it's like, usually the main characters end up at the one location early, fairly early on. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like Halloween... Like, all the Friday the 13th movies, we're at the lake within, like, ten right. minutes of the movie. Um, Nightmare on Elm Streets are different because they're just different. Uh, but, like, Halloween, um, what's it, maybe? Okay, so you get the ten minutes 
of Michael killing his older sister. Mm -hmm. And then between that and uh, Nancy and Lori uh, going to their respective babysitting assignments, is that, what, maybe 20 minutes, a half hour at the most? It can't be a half hour. It's longer than that. Really? I feel like it's just... Like surprisingly long, of them going into town, yeah. like setting things up, smoking dope in the car for a rando drive. Yeah. Um, there's a whole lot of just building atmosphere. There's picking up uh, the kid from school and the bu- and Michael scaring him outside of the bullies. Yeah, oh, there's a lot of like groundwork yeah. to set tone so that because the end of the movie is just pretty simple. Yeah, we're just going between these, uh, these two, two, and a half, two and a half locations because we do pop in mm-hmm. with Loomis and the sheriff uh, yeah. periodically. But yeah, yeah. it's just uh, the two babysitting yeah. houses. I would say that it's probably a, the ending is like a, it's a three act. And I think yeah. that it's about a half hour wow, once the night hits. But it's a lot of not dialogue time. Mm. So it plays longer. So like the music will slow down here and there. Um, it'll get super quiet, which always feels longer at the right ways. Sure, because um, it's not a long movie. That's, no, what, it's, that's it's another ninety-minute movie. Yeah, that's yeah. a shock. They had that. to shoot extra scenes so that it could play network TV <laughs> because it just wasn't long enough to fill a two-hour spot with commercials. Mm-hmm. No, that's fine. Yeah, but uh, but this one, yeah, it's. I mean, it's full-length movie. Full cast, rich cast, because just about every character that you get named, they're memorable. Yeah, the cast is really with, with the like. Even Skeet Ulrich does his job mm-hmm. in this movie, and even though he's terrible, um, but Matthew, like Matthew Lillard, Nev Campbell, Rose McGowan, Jamie Kennedy, legitimately stealing every scene that he's in, mm-hmm. but not in an annoying son of the mask way. He's actually right. just this is a controlled good use of his abilities. Yeah. Uh, and then Courtney Cox, uh, David yeah. Arquette. Which I mean, when you look at the cast of Friends trying to make a movie, mm-hmm. this is the one I can think of that works. Oh, all the different forays into yeah. making movies. All of them. Because, um, yeah. like, I'm not a fan of Lost in Space. Um, there's like, Block kills it. I, I really like Lost in Space. I know you do. But um, I, I, that's why I figured I, I, I would have went with I Don't. People like the, uh, the Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. Yeah, I do enjoy that one. Mm. Yeah, that one's a lot of fun. Bombed hard. I don't remember it doing well. I have never seen it. I've just yeah. heard nothing but good word of mouth. I, I it's think it's great. hysterical. I know some yeah. people who despise it. It's divisive. Fair. But, um, um, David Schwimmer, not really. A he, he was movie. in like the, he was the uh, the other. Well, he was Anne Hesh's fiance in Six Days, Seven Nights, but I don't that's remember. Not a, that's not a lead role. No. He's actually in Wolf. Wow. He he's one of the cops in Central Park. For okay. like a minute, which was kind of fun when I was like, oh, Schwimmer. Uh, Matthew mm. Perry movies are too, ju- they're just all uniformly bad. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Jennifer Aniston is good in things, but she's never a reason to see a movie. No, and I mean, the movies I can think of that she's in, again, I don't know. I think We're the Millers is the only one that made money that I can think of. But- Horrible Bosses. 
Oh yeah, that's right, that's right. But she's not a main thing. Yeah. I mean, she's part of the selling point of it. Right. But, yeah. Yeah, but like Courtney Cox, legitimately solid in this movie and the franchise. Yeah. Definitely this. I, I, I'm. We'll get there. Yeah, I, I, I'm yeah. not going to speak to the franchise yet. I'm going to take every movie as they come. Right. Um, but yeah, she's great yeah. in this one as just this really cloying asshole reporter. And this is the first time that I noticed she is clearly wearing a wig. Oh, yeah. Uh, her <laughs> and wig or not, her hair through the franchise is notoriously. Wow, that's a choice. Speaking of, Nev Campbell's bangs. I like them. Does this work? I, I think uh, they work. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll defer. I am literally on the fence about them because... Bangs I, are tough to pull off. They're tough to pull off. These They are not bad bangs. No. But does this work? I think some people can pull off bangs. Some people cannot. Mm. Um, I think... Gotta have the Nev forehead. Can, Nev can pull off the bangs. Mm. Uh, Debbie Mazar can pull off bangs. Debbie Mazar can pull off True, mm-hmm. and uh, in, in that same regard, Parker Posey has bangs in this one as well. Well, her, she has, yeah, they're stupid, bangs, but it's more the page the mop, cut. So yeah, it's the mop top thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Parker Posey does look good with bangs. Yeah. Like that's the only good thing about that Blade Trinity movie is like Parker Posey looks amazing in every single outfit she's wearing. And yeah, the hair, but everything about that movie is garbage. It ain't great, except maybe the uh, that. Uh, projectile that's on like a whip weapon that he's got at the beginning that was kind of cool i honestly don't remember much about it you shouldn't it's yeah. terrible it's mm-hmm. terrible but i think i've done what david goyer would like everyone to do and forgot it yeah unfortunately david goyer doesn't really like it's kind of like a bad breakup uh, where it's just like, okay, so let's move on to the next thing. But David Goyer has never really come up with a good next thing. I mean, he's been involved with a lot of projects he's over been the years. Involved in them, but what? it's yeah, he hasn't. Spirit, there's something recently he's I, worked on. See, like I think like the Christopher Nolan factor mediated. It took the good ideas from his Batman Begins script and turned it into Batman Begins. Right. Whereas Zack Snyder just said, oh no, these are all good ideas. Let's do all of them more. There's something Goyer was working on recently that I don't remember, but that's... It's not screen. Let's go yeah. back. Um, and at the same time, Blade 1 and 2 and The Crow. David, mm-hmm. David Goyer came up with good stuff back in the day. Wow. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, from Miramax from Miramax and Dark City he wrote did he write that he wrote Dark City yeah Yeah. Dark City rules yeah god damn it there was a time and a place there's a time so the opening scene to talk about pacing and to talk about Drew um, who we are right now recording this as the news has broke that um, she has crossed some picket lines so we don't know where that stands it's not cool it ain't great we're gonna skip that we're just talking about a movie from 96 we're not in the union um yet I support the union. I'm Absolutely, one hundred percent support the union. But this is not a podcast about that. Mm. Uh, the opening sequence. She was the headline name. Yeah, she was. She was the draw. She was like that. She died in the beginning when she was supposed to, by everybody's expectations, be the final girl. Mm-hmm. Set the tone right away. Of nobody's safe. Everybody's at risk. Um, we've already told you one lead. Dead, and that's one of the first influences that Psycho brought yeah. into it. A mm-hmm. um, lot of Psycho influence in there, including Loomis as a name. Yeah, um, and literally quoting Psycho. Yeah, but, 
There um, are, I, I counted, I, I counted every conversation that specifically references movies. Okay. And uh, I, 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 up until the end, I was keeping them all as uh, one conversation, regardless of how many references, until Billy says, we all go a little mad sometime. Because then it's just, every single reference is something. Right. Because he's doing it. And so this one comes in at uh, 18 conversations about movies. Nice. Well, that's about what we do. I'm just saying, just keeping track. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see how this goes as the series progresses. Yeah. But so setting up the you don't know who's going to die when as mm-hmm. but making it as a a shorter cold open concept instead of the halfway point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where it's one sequence. The only character we know in this movie is gone, and we are now yeah twenty minutes into this movie. We don't yeah. know anybody. Yeah, we are being reintroduced to everything else. It keeps you on your toes, but it also, for pacing purposes, you get to put a great set piece to your movie up front. You get to put proof of concept right here. We're doing horror different. Hmm. Um, We're acknowledging that horror movies exist. They're having a conversation about what's your favorite. We know this. You don't know this trivia. So the horror fans in the audience, when she gets the Friday the 13th question wrong, can have their signal, yeah, she deserves, oh, shit. Oh, that's not what it... Like, you make them kind of say, oh, she deserves it. And then it's so brutal of a death Mm. that, oh, I'm the dick. I'm actually not supposed to root for the killers here. Yeah. Um, It's sad. It's tragic. The parents hearing it on the phone and then going outside and seeing her body. Like, they once they get you over the fun popcorn, which burns on the stove. Um, once she you had get, every chance to take the popcorn off the stove. Yeah, but bad decisions. Yeah. Um, once you get all of the, like, we're going to be silly and the horror is just kind of goofy like this with all these tropes, mm-hmm. and then just remind you, this is death, and this is upsetting, and this is bad, and you don't want this to happen to any of these people, your movie starts. Enjoy. Yeah, but it's like, it's just, it's, a seriously bold line in the sand before anything else. And it's something they, again, they continue through the series, but I can't imagine, like, while they have a lot of fun with it along the road, mm. this was such a different thing when it Oh, hit. definitely. And well, it, was, it was, like, the first of, like, the two big twists of this movie. Yeah, this is like one. Our main character, our main character, is just gone, and it, it like, it, it's kind of fun. Uh, one using the same sort of uh, um, what's the word? Uh, the advantages of the Indiana Jones movies or MacGyver, the cold open to your movie where mm-hmm. it's like anything can happen. And uh, maybe some of these characters will carry on for the rest of the movie, but we're just setting it up. Yeah. But also it's kind of fun uh, in terms of Wes Craven, compare the cold open of A Nightmare on Elm Street to the cold open of this. Tina does carry on like she's the like we see the freddy create the glove but mm-hmm. then we see the first dream sequence like right out of the gate which one put makes it so you don't know you you're not sure you can trust anything yeah and tina is our main character mm-hmm. and she makes it to about a half hour 
and then we play then it, all of a sudden Nancy's our main character yeah. and so we get that kind of yeah. it kind of homages that as well mm-hmm. but in and that was ways, a, and that was a discussion with uh Craven and Williamson mm-hmm. about specifically that Elm Street had done that like this yeah. is a good gag let's use it yeah uh it's something that uh shortly thereafter when Buffy first hit the air mm-hmm. Joss Whedon originally wanted to put one of the characters who dies in the in the first episode oh, right. in the opening credits. Yeah, 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 And then when they die, now they're not in the opening credits anymore, but like wanted to set it up of, here's our cast, more or less, don't count on it. That would have been a great gag. Yeah, but like, it was apparently way too expensive to get titles redone week to week like that. Really? It was it was a budget issue. They literally could <sighs> not get a second batch of titles done for the series for That's one season. That's a shame. Yeah. He did pull that off in season six, though. He literally gave a character, finally, an opening credit, like, t- like car- title card, and then killed her off. That was it. Was it Amber Benson? Yeah. The, uh, Tara. 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 Yeah. 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 He's like, I finally got <sighs> to use that gag. And it was just that much more cruel because she had already been a series regular for so long. Yeah. Like, but recurring. But like, nope, she's a regular. No, she's not. Wait, was Whedon still on it by that point? Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Yeah. It, it had just moved to uh, the other station. They're, yeah. They're like, he was still there. My bad, yeah. my bad. Um, but, yeah. But, but then but we yeah. Got, yeah, we got our cast of characters, and it, it's fun. What, like, the big oh, the scene in the opening out after Drew, Drew Barrymore is, of course, the scene where they're all at the fountain because we have to introduce all mm-hmm. of our main characters now. And uh, it was pretty good. Uh, you get everybody a sense of who everybody is how they interact with each other it makes sense why they're all hanging out and it's all the more fun re-watching it mm-hmm. like now once you know spoiler alert for the movie that is just shy of uh Stop 30 it. years old right so, yeah, yeah it I is know, i know i'm sorry but yeah but, uh, but um, when you know that Stu and billy are the killers mm-hmm. the like they they get a little punchy with each more a little more punchy with each other than you would think, and it's like yeah. f when you first watch it, it's like oh maybe they don't get along nearly as well as you think. Yeah, and it's like more, they seem like they've been friends long enough that they bicker as much as they joke, like we yeah. do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but uh, it's actually no. Billy thinks Stu's about to give away the whole game, <laughs> <laughs> and like yeah, just so much of their interaction. Uh, when they t- when they team up on Randy at work, and they're just toying with their prey. Yes, they're just they're having a lot of fun. Really, like and again, it's Stu. Stu is the more consistently goofy. Uh, goofy wants to play, wants to talk, wants to be the the blabbermouth, the Freddy. He honestly he never would. thinks that he's in any danger. No, that the plan will not work. Yeah. Billy is concerned. Seems to be more of the practical of the two. Like, mm-hmm. like okay, but let's do it. But he's like, hey, everything's gonna be fine. Yeah, and we're planning on being really hurt at the end of the like. There's this isn't gonna go great for any of us, but we like we have our way out. We've got to build. Yeah. But um, one of the things, if you've seen the Prestige, uh, those of you at home, watching the Prestige. Uh, spoiler alert for that movie. That's a um, legit spoiler. That yeah, one. that's as I'm because I don't think it, like people haven't seen that movie, which yeah. is kind of crazy. Actually, you know what? I'll hold them off on it. 
Um, there is a twist that when you know the twist in the prestige and you go back and rewatch the movie, it's knowing what the twist is, what is going on at what moment, mm. that kind of thing here. Though the movie makes a hundred percent more sense once yeah. you know what's going on. Yeah, but it makes it Weird that though. much more intense a watch because you're really now watching kind of three overlapping movies. Yeah. And Watching it this time, we were specifically discussing every time there was a phone call, who was on the phone because, and this is again, when Williamson was writing specifically, um, care taken to who was talking, what they sounded like, what their dialogue was, because it was all one voice actor doing the voice box thing. Billy has a lot more, I'm making demands, go to the door, um, we've got to follow the plan. You know, do this, do that, do that. Instructional calls. Whereas Stu was the one who, again, liked What's to play with the scary movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, oh, you got that wrong, wrong answer. Like he's the one who's gaming this. Yeah, and it's just, it's fun. It's fun. It's great screenwriting, and I think it's a detail that is completely overlooked by most of the audience, which is fine. It's not supposed to be a look how clever we are moment. Mm -hmm. It's just good writing. And there are so many places where things are set up, their details are placed, that because you don't notice them, it just... Oh, God, I love that shit. Examples. Uh, Well, again, the two of them back and forth... Mm -hmm. But um, setting up when Stu sets down the gun and he purposely turns the safety on. Mm -hmm. And it's a detail, but he very visibly turns the safety on so that when the gun goes missing and then Gail shows up with it, Stu knows something that you don't. Or or Billy says, you know, I know something you don't. So does the audience if you saw that happen. It was there. It was given to you. You probably missed it. But when you go back, fuck, yep, mm. there it was. There's just there's that level of detail all over. Yeah. Um, again, I, not- I noted at the beginning when Casey, she says her favorite movie is Halloween. And the knife she pulls to defend herself is the Michael Myers style knife. But she's holding it with a blade pointed towards her instead of pointed out. Just little details. I love that stuff. No, it's great. Yeah. We're we're bouncing around because we assume it's fine. And we, it's, we assume yeah. all of you have seen at least the first screen. Yeah. Um I love the bit at the party, drunken Randy is uh watching Halloween and screaming at Jamie Lee Curtis to turn around because Michael is behind her. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the ghost faced is behind Randy. But it's even I, I don't think I'd ever put it together that Randy is being played by Jamie Kennedy. So when he's saying, Jamie, look behind you, mm-hmm. it's just like all the more metatextual and self-referential, which yeah. is a great time. And then with the 30-second delay when they're in yeah. the van, they're also, I mean, they're echoing the behind you, behind you, which is just a funny gag until you think of how useless it is to yell at your TV. Yeah. We're watching a horror movie and we were uh, people in the audience in the theater were yelling, oh my God, he's behind you, he's behind you. And then you watch characters doing the same thing. You're like, oh, right. That was really stupid. Why would we do that? They can't hear us. He, they can't hear him. Ah, oh, shit. It's for me. 
I'm doing it for me. Yeah. And to make but the rest of the audience yeah. have fun, understand that something bad is about to happen. Yeah. It's just, it, it really, it, this is a movie that basically spends its time just behind your head. Like, it's like, we know what you're thinking. We know what you're thinking. We're doing this. Yeah. Yeah. We're setting you on out here. Yeah. Really liked Matthew Allard in this movie. Oh, yeah. Like, he's always, like, I, I remember back in the 90s, it was just like, if you need a whacked out white guy, Matthew Lillard is, like, the top of your call sheet. Mm-hmm. And then, if you can skew him a little bit younger, Devin Sawa will do in a pinch. Mm-hmm. And if God help you, you have no other option, Jake Busey is probably already in the room behind you. I, I like Jake Busey, but I, he's not... I like him, but he's terrifying. He's He's... He has a hard time playing good guy roles too often. Like, even, like the, what's the nicest ver- person he's ever played was in Starship Troopers? Probably. Uh, or what or, was that? Uh, Shasta McNasty? What was that show? I did not watch that. Neither did I. Uh, he, was, um, he was Sex Machine on the From Dust Hold On TV show. Oh, shit. Yep. I'm pretty sure that was him as Sex Machine. He was on the show. That would be a good, show, was, a good yeah. choice. Yeah. Um, I got like three like, episodes in. I was like, "This is we are overcomplicating a very straightforward, brilliant idea it, to make it a TV show." Again, shorter is better. Yeah, it's overall. I thought it was fun. Um, it was well made. Yeah, but eh. uh, well, it's like, funny. The person that had put me onto it, uh, they'd never seen the movie. Oh. And so the whole time they're like, "Isn't this guy great playing the? Aren't they great playing the Gecko Brothers?" And I'm like, you, "You know, it's like George Clooney and Quentin Quentin I Idol at Sex Creep Tarantino mm-hmm. playing the brothers in the movie, right? I yeah, mean, like they're, they're, it's just a yeah. little bit better. I mean, it it's saying something that Rodriguez typically when he casts Tarantino, it's as a rapist sex creep." Yep. I think it's also Tarantino is in on the joke. <laughs> but, eh, I mean, one hopes. Yeah, one, one, one hopes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and Jake Busey, like, creepy in contact. Yep. Super nice creepy, murders. evil, well, and yeah, uh, the frighteners. Yeah. Murderous. Again, yeah. like, he's not wearing contacts in yeah. most of these movies. Yeah. That's just what his eyes look like. And T. Wallace, not a mother in that movie. Which one? Frighteners. No, no, she was not. That oh. took me, that was like umpteenth time watching it, realizing, oh, that's D. Wallace. Holy mm. shit. I just like, I mean, first time through, I was like, I recognized her, but then I was just blown away by the fact that I had never seen her do anything like that. She's incredible. And she's, she's been in... incredible in so many movies over the years. Playing a white hat. <laughs> right. But like, yeah, seeing her go mm-hmm. south. Mm-hmm. Oh mm-hmm. my God. Everybody. You should watch The Frighteners. If you've never seen The Frighteners, one, it's just one of the best horror movies ever made. Mm-hmm. Two, this is the proof of concept movie that got us Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So, because we're just going to keep working that phrase <coughs> in for the rest of the episode. It was, I mean, it was written as a Tales from the Crypt movie. The de- yeah. yeah. And Robert Zemeckis looked at it, read it, and was like, let's do this as its own thing because... Yeah. I'm not sure how well these Tales from the Crypt movies are going to do, and I feel like this should have a chance. We could make money off of this. Right. We can get you more than they're offering us for this, because I think the Crypt movies were like a 
ten or twenty million dollar budget. I can't imagine that the investment's going to be that high, mind you. Uh, Demon Knight, uh, Demon Knight is just a great movie. Oh, absolutely! But it also absolutely looks like a great movie. Bordello well, that's Blood, Dickerson. not a great movie, but it is a good look. You see the money on the screen yeah. in Bordello of Blood as well, yeah. but it's still. It doesn't look like the Frighteners. No. And the Frighteners cost $35 million. That's That's it. That is insane. It cost $35 million, which is half the budget of Independence Day. Mm. Independence Day shockingly only cost $70 million (laughs) because they shot it in Europe. Um, They avoided U.S. unions and such. I I hate to break it to you, but uh, Frighteners is not America. I know. (laughs) I know. But I'm just saying, like... People think Independence Day was like a $150 million movie. I mean, it does look like And it was originally budgeted that before they took the production overseas. Mm. Frighteners, at half the cost, has more special effects shots. Totes. Oh, easily. Yeah. Uh, just all the ghosts. Oh, that's and that's the thing. Like, there are, there are well, so like rare of, shots yeah. that don't have any special effect to them. And it was... But he... I mean, it's Jackson. He just... He knows how to work on a budget. Yeah. The, the same... My, my favorite one is... Uh, how much do you think Hellboy 2 cost? That's Del Toro, so that's skewing my numbers. I don't know. Hellboy 2, with all the giant, with the, with the gi- giant plant beast in mm-hmm. the middle of it, the tooth fairies in the beginning, mm-hmm. the, golden, the titular golden army at the end, the troll market, and all of those practical effects, mm-hmm. that is an $80 million movie. Jesus Christ. It looks like it would have cost three times that amount yeah. just for this movie, which is why yeah. Hellboy is so good. Mm-hmm. Consciously you, excited about and, the new one. Yeah. And then you watch Batman and Robin, and that cost a hundred million, and that looks like garbage front to back. Very stylized garbage. If your style is <laughs> Full Moon Entertainment, got to make a Batman. You know, it's weird how Batman and Robin does not look as good as Batman Forever. Batman Forever is a good-looking movie. It's a better-looking one. I still think it looks cheap for the budget. I can see that. On a related note, I finally read Batman 89, the comic book that, mm-hmm. you know, that's supposed to be the... Uh, what would have happened if Michael Keaton and Tim Burton made the third Batman movie? Yeah. It's incredible. I will have to check it out. It, I cannot guess, recommend it enough. Yeah. I literally guessed it on a pod, another podcast... Uh, month or two ago where that was the topic of a discussion mm-hmm. and in the middle of the discussion somebody's like you know they actually published this premise of mm-hmm. like if there was another like oh then why are we doing this yeah mm-hmm. no it was well it, it's fun because you, you clear like it's written by Sam Hamm so oh, excellent and uh, you clearly see all the th- all the things that would have been in the movie had it come out at the time but they play up Harvey Dent they connect Harvey Dent with the Black Lives Matter movement in a way that uh, would not have happened in the mid '90s. So it's one of the it's weird. Is like you know, on the one hand, it's annoying that this movie didn't get made back in the day, so we but get it Billy Dale Williams. But also, it kind of benefits from the delay because yeah. it kind of meet the mm-hmm. moment is here for this. Like the only thing that does not work for me. In the comic, because of how it would have been in the movie, uh, Harvey Dent is gets engaged to Barbara Gordon, which is perfectly. It's a choice. It's inter- okay. It's interesting. She is a sergeant with the police force, 
and she actually is estranged from Commissioner Gordon because she's like, why in the hell would we employ a vigilante? You gave up on the t- you gave up on the city before we could do anything. The problem is. She in the comic she is she is drawn as if she's being played by Winona Ryder, ah, who is thirty five years younger than Billy D. Williams. Yeah, as gorgeous as Billy D. Williams was at the time. It's That's a, a stretch. Little weird. Yeah. Um. Hmm. But other that that's my only complaint. Everything else, the Marlon Wayans as Robin. Oh right, works I forgot about that. Yeah. Really well. Mm-hmm. And it's like this is the Michael Keaton Batman sequel that I want. Yeah. Oh, I, oh, my only request would have been that you give Daniel Waters a pass on the script because. Well, I wonder they're making another one, so oh, I wonder maybe, if, they, maybe, if they've, maybe. Uh, uh, they're getting him involved. Like it's it's the Scarecrow, and Jose Quinones is drawing him to resemble Howard Stern. Wow. That's yeah. Right. I forgot about that. Uh huh. <sighs> But Scream. But Scream. Obviously, we're talking. We're still talking um, about it's Scream. It's just, it is, it's one of these movies we've seen so many times, and I feel like I've we can't extolled do it its virtues. For point. Uh, Henry, well, we'll just go highlights. Henry Winkler. Always great. Psycho- borderline psychotic principal Henry. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The Love the West Craven cameo. Um, the, God, Rose McGowan. Just, why was she, I mean, she kind of was in every movie after this movie. Like for like a five for the years, window until for a five years until Harvey, uh, Harvey. Oh yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, no, no argument. It's just kind of funny, like re, uh, not reassessing, but uh, re uh, correcting incorrect information in my pop culture knowledge because, uh, because we didn't know about Harvey Weinstein, I had assumed it was just everybody was weirded out by her relationship with Marilyn Manson, and that kind of put her in the mm. doghouse. But no, uh, it was Harvey Weinstein being one of the worst human beings to walk the planet Earth. Yep. Cool. Yeah. It was kind of it was kind of annoying seeing his name at the end of this. I'm it? never a fan of that popping up. Yeah, I think it's we, a bummer. Yeah. That's something. In, uh, like leave the leave the, the the World Trade Center in movies. Erase his name from yeah, the movies. <laughs> yeah, because I'm comfortable remembering that New York skyline used to. It used to be a thing. Yeah, but it's not the movie's fault. It's not anymore. Yeah, honestly, I think removing his name from all this stuff and pretending he never existed. Now that like he, you know, the law has taken you know taken care of things. He ain't ever getting out of jail. No, but. If he's sitting in jail thinking, well, at least I have my legacy, let's remove his name from everything. Let's take it off of as much as possible so that he's just a sad little footnote. Well, he's not a little anything. Well, no, no. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, that would hurt him. Yes. Oh, no, no, no. Correct. Yeah. It was funny. I I did a community rewatch in terms of uh, uh, leaving one thing but erasing another. Uh, on streaming services, the D and the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons episode has it's gone. It's gone because of a five second not blackface joke. Right, like the joke is that it's not blackface, and they explain that it's not blackface, and he, and like Shirley like comments on it, but even she gets okay. I understand now. Right, that episode is gone. Despite the fact it is one of the strongest episodes of the entire show. Yeah. The episode where Subway takes over, uh, that episode's still there, and oh look! There's Jared! That episode's fine! Yeah. 
And I know it just comes down to people know about the one, but not the other. The one is obvious, yeah. the other is but not. But the people but... who are pulling episodes are aware of both. Yeah, they are. And their selective memory is purely performative. He's high-fiving people. Any good. It's not good. No. But Matthew Lillard, just... Yeah. He has... He, he he pops up in like a bunch. Or is it a bunch or is it just a handful of like little horror movies? I guess he's it's all just a yeah, He pops up on like stuff. he's in Thirteen Ghosts uh, and then the Twin Peaks season three. Mm-hmm. Did, he, did he? Does he do a, uh, much other horror? That I, that I yeah, he did uh, they. What's that? Oh no, that was was that Ethan Embry. I think that was Ethan Embry. Never mind. <laughs> um, it was a Wes Craven produced horror movie in the early two thousands, and I'm pretty sure it was t- Ethan Embry. I remember seeing the title. Um, no, he's uh, he did. I mean, been getting by on years worth of doing Shaggy for Scooby Doo. Oh yeah. Um, like did the live action one, and then Casey Kasem was getting up there and retired, and he's just like, "You need a Shaggy? I'll be the Shaggy. Like, yeah. why not? Like, Kasem did it for you know decades." Yeah, I'm good. I love Scooby Doo. I love the character. Sure. Yeah, and I think he still is. He's still yeah. doing it at least on and off, if not. Yeah, like totally. Like he's been the most consistent, and then. Um, well, actually, I think Frank Welker is actually still Fred. He is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the most most consistent. Yeah. Frank Welker is a different beast, though. He is not human. No. <laughs> like what, what's great, uh, if you go. Any movie that has, like, a very noticeable animal noise or uh, borderline an animal voice, mm-hmm. nine times out of ten will be Frank Welker. When I saw The Shadow in the theater, <laughs> when the knife made a growl... That knife? That's the one. Wow, nice. How did I not notice that? He's kind of... He, he's subtle. Okay. And blocked by things, but, but yeah. When the knife made a growl, I saw it with friends, and somebody literally said... I bet that knife's Frank Welker. And then the credits came up, and it sure 100% was. God damn it. People mm. need to do a reassessment of the Shadow movie. Oh, God, yeah. It, oh, I just love that. Speaking of the knife, I just love like when they're having the, uh, the tete-a-tete in the Chinese restaurant, and um, uh, what is it? Uh, Shi Wan Khan has, uh, has started expo- like letting, giving a little bit of his plan away and explaining why he should be taking over the world. And the shadow, Lamont Cranston is like, you know what? I'm going to give you a name. Leonard Levinsky. Brilliant psychiatrist. Very quiet. We won't have, you go to his office, have a few conversations, and he's, he's got his hand on the table and he's writing it writing down, as he's writing the, the, the name on a card. And then Shiwan Khan just immediately produces the knife and shoves it in between his fingers. And just Alec Baldwin, perfect delivery. Oh, that knife. <laughs> I'm just picturing such a Jack Donahue type delivery. Yeah, it, 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 it really is. That movie, oh, god damn it. Like, you want to talk, okay. A lot of people write that movie off because it is still uh, employing the yellow peril. Right. I would argue, or, or I have argued, uh, that much like with Scream, where it's like, we're taking tropes and we're owning them and showing like how you can do them correctly. Shiwan Khan is not a yellow peril Fu Manchu character. He no. may have started as that. He probably back was in the serial that days, back 100% in the serial days. But you, you cast John Lone. To play your Bond villain who happens to be Asian. There's a difference. Mm-hmm. 
it's people arguing that if you put anybody of any specific group in as a villain, we're demonizing that group. No, and it's just this guy. Yeah, it tends to be people who don't understand the initial problem that complain about the well, why is this okay? This is a movie. because they don't understand the difference. Yeah, and it's like, well, why am I not allowed to do that? Because you don't get what he's adding to the role here. Yeah, you don't see the care and work that went into this. Mm. That's why you don't get to do it. Yeah, because you would do it very bad. This is why I get confused about Scarlett Johansson and the Ghost in the Shell movie. Well, the character was never supposed to. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I'm right there with you. Yeah. It's because like, oh no, god, I can't believe they cast her like against type. Like what? As a Russian? Right. She was the yeah. character supposed to be Russian, right? I know. Yeah. So it's like, don't get me wrong, Motoko Kusanagi, she's a Japanese character. Yeah. The, my, my, my only and nine, ninety-nine times out of ten, it'd be absolutely. Why are you not casting an Asian person to do it? Yeah. Except that Scarlett Johansson does bear a striking resemblance to the anime. Yeah, but I again, I thought the character was not supposed to be Asian in, or well, I mean, Russian Asian. But I thought the character was supposed to be of like Russian, Russian descent right? in Ghost in the Shell. Oh, I thought you were making a joke about the Avengers. Oh no, I thought no, she's not a, supposed to be Russian. Okay, yeah. I'll be. I have not seen the original anime. Yeah, it's great visually. Yeah. There's no it. It's impossible. Know. It would be impossible to do that comic as a like single movie is the thing. The uh, TV series standalone complex that was like a thirteen or twenty six episode series. That's pretty great. Okay. Uh, in terms of both visual and story, whereas like Ghost in the Shell, the movie is just you watch it for the visuals, which yeah. are extraordinary. Yeah, but yeah, I need more to hang on to. Usually, agreed. I have trouble with it. Uh, I don't. This is why I don't rank it nearly as high as most other, you know, BuzzFeed type lists will rank it because it's like, well, it's Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, but Akira is Akira. Mm-hmm. And it has all of that and the story and the character. And even then, Akira is one. I have my issues with the adaptation of. I've, when I saw it, everyone's. I, I asked multiple times going in, like, Here's one of my problems with anime. Mm-hmm. It's not a complete story. And afterwards, I'm told about the legends behind it. And you have to understand the culture and the blah, 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 blah. You're telling me, you separate friends, individually, that this is a complete pill. I get this as one chunk and it's done. And then afterwards, like, well, there's 26 graphic novels. I'm like, you all fucking lied to me. I asked you specifically if it does the thing I have a problem with. And you said, no, it doesn't. And then it did. All right, Scream is completely. We're putting Scream to the side for a minute here. Yeah. One, Akira the movie is a complete and perfect movie. It tells a story. Mm-hmm. This is the story that it's telling. It is an adaptation of a long of a a, a, a solid manga. That's those. Uh, if you see those white and yeah. uh, colored guys. It is adapted by the writer artist of it. This is the this is the version of the story he wanted to tell. Okay. If you want to read that version of the story, you, you you need to read the comics. It is borderline an apples and oranges thing because mm-hmm. we're like we, Otomo correctly understood. I can't make this story into a two hour movie, mm-hmm. but I can keep the characters true to what they are. Uh, incorporate a lot of the visuals and cover 
all of the main philosophical and sci-fi points I want to do. Mm-hmm. That's what the Akira movie does. The same people that told me going into the theater, this is you don't need to know anything going into this. You don't need to know anything going After into the movie, it. when I had questions, specifically told me, you have to read the books for all that. Well, they were wrong. That's why I got, I, I got away from watching any anime, because usually recommendations came in that kind of form of... I'm asking you specific questions. Yes, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. It's great. Blah, blah, blah. Afterwards. Okay, what we didn't tell you was all the stuff that you asked about. I had too many bad friends recommend the wrong things in the wrong way and set stuff up in a way that was not fair to the thing I was about to watch. And it was more than just Akira. I'm still confused. Are you saying you don't like Akira? I think it's a beautiful movie. I'm not into the storyline. I may need to give it another shot someday, but I was really burned by it and specifically by those friends. It was a bad experience. I've, I've had those. I've had the, yeah. I've had those where you like, watched I've watched book. a movie that is legitimately great, but the circumstances I watched the man, and, I can't. And like, that's a huge factor here. Pat, it's Akira. <laughs> I understand. I don't think and you I, do. Otherwise, we, I... I am flabbergasted. I am. I am. I am so confused. You've told me about your 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 that you're not a fan of anime, mm-hmm. which and your, your reasons are legit. It's Akira. It's beyond. It's Akira is one of the greatest movies ever made, regardless of medium. Oh my god! It was a who, very bad run of. Things. Who have I been doing this podcast with all this time? You haven't seen Rami and Michelle. What are we doing here? <sighs> Talk about Scream for a minute. I'm going to make it. I'm going to get another soda. All right. There you go. Um, oh, my God. So, the end of the movie, we get the two-killer twist. Absolutely a first-timer on that, as far Amazing. as I can remember. Amazing. Yeah. It's the entire premise of any whodunit is whodunit. Never had I ever considered, oh, there might just be two characters in cahoots. Outside of like Murder on the Orient Express, the that's the but whole you, thing. Even that is not this. It's not this because it, that's a. It's like oh, we the, all killed him at the same time, right? Like and, we were all there. Yeah, and oh, there's a reason we were all suspicious, and mm-hmm. it, yeah, all signs point to no, yeah, you suck. Um, but here it's yeah, it's a specific plot designed to throw everybody off the trail. In the story and in the audience. Yeah, but mainly the audience. He drops the cell phone right after that first attack to purposely get himself put in jail to set up the alibi. It is very clever. Yeah. And... One would almost think that there's somebody else giving him ideas as to how to pull this off. I'm (laughs) I'm trying to be good and keep it to just this movie, but it's a certain knowledge leaks in every so often but yeah. no but it's just it, see that and, and that's kind of like we we can start you know winding yeah. down and this because the twist is amazing but everything about this movie is clever yeah everything about this movie uh, hadn't been done before or if it had it's being done in a way that's better than the way that it was done before mm-hmm. why not just leave it well leave well enough alone like, why not just, like, hey, guess what? You made one of the greatest horror movies ever made, and it examines everything, it looks at everything, it pokes fun in the right ways. Uh, if we do it again, how is this not just a cash grab 
with no soul. Yeah. I think the gaps between the movies, especially between three and four, and Craven coming back, his last movie being four. Really? Yeah. Huh. Um, spoke to, I like working in this universe, and especially with Williamson and Craven together again, mm -hmm. let's go ahead and make one more statement on horror, which it wasn't necessarily intended to be a statement on horror. It was just meant to be a, a different way to play with the toys on this first one. But if that's what we've set up, well, we've already told these gags. Mm -hmm. We've already, like, taken the piss out of XYZ. What else can we look at? And that's why each one kind of picks its poison. Mm -hmm. And two, when we get to it, goes through sequel tropes. And sequel tropes is a deeper cut knowledge. There's a lot of people who know you don't go down the basement when the light's off. Mm -hmm. But they don't necessarily know about the body count is higher or you survived the first, you know, the last when you're one of the key targets on this one. Like, there's different things to explore and some of them are stated and some of them are not. And that's what I think gets fun about the movies as they go along is just finding other things to scrape at on horror. Mm. And there's got to be more than just like sequel tropes, though, because you there are. Bur you burn through those with the second movie, because like yeah. there is the I like yes, there are always like minor differences between things, but the tro tro the sequel tropes of a third movie versus a second movie, not that different, right? And this is one of the things, and I mean, I'll go into much more detail of when we watch three, mm -hmm. but three, uh, the biggest problem I think is that it's a different writer it's not kevin williamson it's aaron Kruger, who i Ooh. don't believe he's not great he's not a great writer he's, he's kind of like i like i my love for the akiva goldsmith movies aside he is kind of equivalent to akiva goldsmith. yeah like brought Just in good enough Dude, he'll get the he'll get you your shooting script but he doesn't have a love of horror Mm. He doesn't know the references off the top of his head that Williamson knew putting the, into this. You know, he probably got a lot of flack for having the name and just didn't get into the movies. I think it was, a, <laughs> honestly, I think his name was part of the gimmick of getting hired on it. I don't uh, know. I don't know. But I, I don't know the details of the, I know that Williamson was too busy with all of his projects because of how mm -hmm. much this blew up. Yeah. Um, that he didn't have time to write it, unfortunately. He had a loose treatment. Maybe but. if Aaron Kruger, maybe Aaron Kruger would have had an easier inroads if he wrote under the pseudonym, like say, Jism Hetfield, or come on, you're not going to give me anything for Jism Hetfield. You're just going to act like you can yes and that. I, you got my face. <laughs> I'm buffering. Skeet Ulrich. That oh. was the name he came up with. Just he a has friend. an agent. His <laughs> agent said, all right. Yeah, no, this is good. Yeah. This, 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 this is a name that's going to just, mm. you know, pop. We will do all the paperwork for this. Okay. It's a choice. <laughs> it's a choice. Could have been Brian Ray. Yeah. Or, or, or Billy Ray, Ray or Jimmy Ray. Ray, Ray Trout. Or Ray Trout. Ray or... So yeah, Ray Trout. Ray yeah. Trout. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. The fish thing, it kind of cuts both ways because it is distinctive. Like, yeah. you'll see that name, but at, at, but at the same time, fish. Yeah. 
I, I, yeah. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, but the one fish in Hollywood is a pagoda, and that's all. <laughs> Skeet Ulrich has just the whole face mouth situation. Yeah, it's, a bit it's kind of a grim. fish face. He is kind of fish face, so clearly he can't get yeah. trout. But yeah, Skeet, Skeet. But so yeah, the third one, like at least Scoot McNary, that is apparently a childhood nickname. Okay, or like Chevy Chase. Chevy Chevy Chase. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, with the third screen, basically, I don't mm. feel like the love was there of horror movies, mm-hmm. and I don't think the knowledge of tropes was there. Mm. So when tropes are named in that one, they're kind of bullshit. It's like neon. Oh, oh no. So it's like fake. Larry, it's like, like oh, like in a third movie, they always this. Like, that's, no, that's not a thing. That's like, you're talking, and your characters need to have a thing that you're trying to set up for later, but that's not actually a thing. Yeah. So, like, yeah, it just, it lost its credibility. Mm. And I feel like that was a huge, like, hump that it had to get over for the next one. Gotcha. So, anyhow, we'll get to the other ones soon. We'll get to the other ones soon. Screen two next week. Yep. Or in two weeks. We come out every two weeks. Yeah. You're lucky we come out at all. Especially in the heat this summer. It was pretty brutal. But summer's over. We're in fall. We're in horror season. Yeah. Everything's going to be great. Mm. And by the you time know. this episode comes out, it might be winter, which is... Even colder. Yeah, we might get down to 50 this winter here. Ugh. Like, I appreciate that your friends were giving you the wrong information. Because, as with anything, like, the movie is the movie. If you have questions, the question, the answers are in the movie somewhere. Yeah. Going to a different... Akira, the comic book, yeah, like... It's not like you watch the Watchmen movie and you have question get there are gaps and you have questions. That is a, a source that you can go to, or like yeah. the Godfather, the book versus the movie, you can go get the answer there. Yeah. The adaptation of the Akira comic book or the movie from the comic book is so night night and day mm-hmm. that no, they're absolutely wrong. Anybody I knew at the time who was trying to recommend anime to me was not listening to what I was asking and what I liked and what I was looking to watch. Uh-huh. So I would say, right now, I'm enjoying films like blah, 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 blah. And they would say, oh, well, here, watch Wicked City, which was nothing like what I had just described. Uh-huh. And... You wanted more rape. Dear God. <laughs> but, right, but I don't know. It just I mean, I remember but, blocking out a lot of that movie, except there was a spider lady. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah no. Wicked City, Wicked City is not for everybody. That no. is a very specific taste. But a friend who really just liked it was like, "No, no, no! This is going to be totally your thing because it was totally their thing." Yeah. And listens to nothing I said, so they weren't recommending a movie to me. They were just shouting about a movie, and I was in the way. And when I watched it, and they didn't listen to what I was asking about, and I saw a movie that they told me was what I was asking about. Uh-huh. I thought, well, if this is the best that anime has, if they think this is the closest to my taste, this shit ain't for me. It was too many bad recommendations, friends I couldn't trust, and I just had to walk away from all of it because it was movie after movie. And Akira was somewhere in that path of it. It wasn't the first one out. I had been burned like this several times, and by that point... I was just frustrated with anybody giving me a bunch of bullshit about a movie instead of telling me what the movie was so I could actually know what I was going into. And it burned me away from anime for probably two decades. Acknowledging all of that and all of that 
the your dislike of anime based on that is explicable and understandable. Mm-hmm. But I, I, but I, I grew get up on no, no, Robotech, no, no. Speed Racer. I, I, I still am getting hung up on the, the core question. You, you, you've seen Akira. Yeah. You didn't like it. No, I was told I was going into no, a No, no, no. no. Yeah. Now what you were told, your opinion when you watched the movie, you didn't like the movie. I thought it was a beautiful movie, and I just was not... I, I was not locked in. Huh. Yeah. And again, huh. I... I'm not against watching it another day sometime, but not at anyone's request. Oh, I will, I, I, I will not, say I, right I, now, I will never I will never watch an anime that somebody tells me to watch because of my past. I have to find them on my own. I don't understand. Like you have to understand. I don't understand not liking it here. It's associated trauma, let's call it. Ooh. Like, I watched Joe Bob showed Perfect Blue. I Nobody had told me I will like it or not. I just watched the Joe Bob. I like that movie. I, yeah, 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 uh, Miyazaki. I, 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 I love Miyazaki. Thanks, Miyazaki. Outside of... You I don't like Akira. I didn't like uh, Princess Mononoke. You don't like Akira. I did not enjoy the experience of watching Akira. You don't like Akira. Hear me again. I, I did I, not like the experience of watching Akira. But the, Akira is such a transcendently good movie. I don't understand how it, it would overcome. It did not transcend a whole bunch of associated shit at the time. Wow. That is astonishing to me. What? And, and I, want what? You, I want to make sure you understand the specific grammar <laughs> of the sentence I'm saying to you. I know. I, I do. I had a bad experience watching that movie. And I associate that movie with that bad experience... Certain movies are too good for that. Certain movies are over or should, in my mind, overcome these experiences. And I, I'm recognizing mm. that it didn't for you. No, it's, that was not the case it's for my. Shocking to me. Who knew when we started the screen section of our podcast? This is Akira's the end. This is the end. Fight on. This is the end of the friendship for based on Akira. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know you would pick the fight? No! I mean, yes! Like, I picked the fight by agreeing to watch the Scream movies. <laughs> and then it cured me. <sighs> this is bizarre. This is a bizarre thing. On a lot of different levels. I'm gonna have to think about this. Alright. Any other Scream thoughts? Um, I just love this movie, and I feel like I've talked about it so much over the years that I guess I'm... It's hard to talk about it again. Yeah, and we also talked through the movie, because having seen it so much, we talked yeah. about a lot of the details. Maybe we should have done a commentary instead. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe. But we can't do that for the other ones, because you have to go in with fresh eyes. Yeah. Um, i tell you what, you... Oh, I'm not doing a, a commentary for this. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I'm saying, if, if you can watch all the rest of these screen movies open-minded... I will watch Akira at the end of it. Your life is your life. Okay. <laughs> I just figured I'd put it out there. Uh, no, I mean, if we're both, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going in them open minded. I'll be mean spirited if I don't like a movie. This is so bizarre. Well, we'll see where it takes us. All right. All right. Till next time. Get out. If you want to interact with us online, you can check us out on Instagram or Twitter at Amityville Show, or you can send us an email at podcastamityville at gmail.com. 